You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Television news. It's an important part of our democracy. That's what the chair of the CRTC just said. I don't know. To me, it's been more of a punchline. It's Ron Burgundy. It's what the Daily Show goofs on. TV news has just never been my thing. But maybe that's just because I wasn't around or not paying attention when it was good. My guest today began his career in broadcast journalism well before the era of cable news, well before O.J. Simpson created the 24-hour news cycle, well before Hannity and Bill O'Reilly and Wolf Blitzer and well before Kevin O'Leary, well before all that stuff, well before Eyewitness News, if it bleeds, it leads. Before all of that, Howard Bernstein was producing news television in Canada for everybody. He was a founding producer at the Journal, the CBC. He ran Global's local news in Toronto. He worked at CTV. He worked across all the major news organizations in this country. He knew everybody. And he remembers those times and contrasts them to what we're getting now on his blog, I'm mad as hell. 
and I can't do anything about it. You may remember Howard from an earlier conversation on the show about internships and how, according to Howard, they should be abolished. What you didn't hear last time was about all of his experiences in his career. Well, you're going to hear that now. I found this stuff fascinating. I did not know a lot about it. I think you're going to enjoy it. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. One thing I like about my sponsor, FreshBooks, besides their product, of course, if you need to do billing, invoicing, you should be using FreshBooks. I like that they have built their company around this community of, of their clients, freelancers, contractors, small businesses, this growing new workforce that I'm a part of. They've tried to just be a good neighbor. They give out advice, helpful tweets. There's a free ebook you can download from their site. Check it all out at FreshBooks.com. So you worked on the journal. Yes, I did. What did you do with the journal? Uh, I was one of the senior producers. People talk about that with reverence. That was uh, considered a high point for CBC television journalism. You know, it was considered a high point. I never did consider it a high point. (laughs) Uh, I was never particularly comfortable there because I was a news person. Mm -hmm. And I came from news and I wanted to work in news. And the journal was was really current affairs and was really two steps back. And I still remember Mark Starwitz saying one day, boggled my mind. I'd never heard this before. He said, I don't want to break stories. Right. I want to jump on stories when they're hot, when people want to come watch them on my show. Uh If you break a story, no one even knows it exists until you break it. This was so antithetical to everything I believed in. (laughs) Because you were about getting the scoop, That's breaking right. news, getting it first. That's right. So I don't want to take anything away from the quality of the show. But for me, it yeah. didn't particularly work. And the, I decided to leave. There's one particular story that made me 
leave the journal. I left after two years. I was the first person to leave on my own who wasn't fired. What was the story? And the story was there was a massive, uh, I don't even remember the specific details, but in London at the Libyan embassy, there was a huge fight between the British SAS and the Libyans in there involved shooting and people dying in the streets in London. London, that's perfect for us because the time difference gives us tons of time to get the story together. Right. And it was a huge story. It was, But we had an interview that was like a month old sitting on the shelf that we had previewed, said it was going to be on that night with um, uh, a, a feminist. Uh, this, well, I forget which one. Like, I, I literally don't remember. And, and they decided, no, we, we previewed it, so we're going to run it. I said, this is the biggest story in the world. Yeah. How could we not do this? And then I decided, you know what? This place is just not for me. It's right. just not for me. Again, I don't want to take anything away from the quality of the people there or the quality of the work they were doing. But you had an ethic of, of urgency and story sense that if, if people want to know what's going on in the world, and you've got to tell them what's, what's most right. important. That's right. And my attitude was the beauty of, the, of what the journal was and should have been or could have been was that they could explain what was going on in the world that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, my boss at CTV, who I will always consider one of the most brilliant, not only broadcasters, but journalists who ever existed in this country, and no one knows about him. His name was Don Cameron. He always said to me when I was producing Canada, you have a daily show. If you have a daily show, you're supposed to reflect that day. Yeah. Otherwise, why have a daily show? Right. <laughs> and you know what? I, to this day, that, that stuck with me. I even remember Don telling me, even though that we're talking about 1976, I, I still remember that still sticks with me. Reading your memories of, of working in, in television journalism and uh, how seriously you take it and a lot of the feelings you have about how it's being done today, it, it is like reading from a different era because, you know, I didn't really watch the news, of course, uh, as a kid and when I was a teenager, that's when O.J. Simpson and cable news and, you know, the 24-hour news cycle began. So television news has never been anything but really ephemeral and silly to me. And, and even when I was on it and doing talking head stuff at, at News World, of the various venues I had, working in print or radio, I could get the least amount of information across. It seemed like the dumbest medium. Well, and the true, well, I would say the second dumbest after radio. Um, but <laughs> no, because, you know, a radio news, ca- a news story is 30 seconds. A TV news story is a minute 45. Okay. You know, so... <laughs> Uh, but on radio, you, n- you never ask somebody for B-roll. You don't have to be, no, can you pretend to be typing on your computer? That's can, true. Can you that's look, true. look at the books in your library shelf? Uh, that's true. But then, you know, you can make, a, an, a, if you're making a, a two-hour documentary, you still need B-roll. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but so having said that, no, I, I think TV, I've all, I always consider TV as a provocateur of news. Not, it's not telling you what the news is. It's telling you what happened that day and what's interesting so that you would know what you want to go look at afterwards. Mm-hmm. So your next step was, if that story really interested you, pick up the newspaper tomorrow, read that story. And if that's not far enough, get the magazine story when that comes out. Yeah. But it tells you what you should be interested in or what you can be interested in. I don't believe it was ever there to tell you all the news. Right. What do you think of the shape of it now when you, when you turn on the television and watch the news? Um, and we can get specific. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't like the news anymore. It's a hard one for me to deal with because I am still a news junkie. Where do you get your information? Uh, well, I, I, you know, uh, I read newspapers. Um, I do watch CTV news every night, not because I like CTV news better than CBC news. I watch it because it's on at 11 instead of 
10, and I'm not generally watching news at 10. You know, the baseball game ends after. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually think, and I, don't, I hardly ever watch it, and I almost hate to say this, but from what I've seen, to me, the best newscast that I can see in Toronto is probably local news and global mm-hmm. right now, which is shocking to me because I ran global when it was, like, horrible. Right. <laughs> Uh, so I can take no credit in, in, in the fact that it's really good now. Um, but they seem to take it seriously the way I took it. Right. The, w- the way they do their local newscast. Yeah. Um, having said that, it's still not up to what I would consider scratch. I think television news was hurt by a whole lot of things. But I think the biggest two things were, one, the quality of the equipment. It sounds crazy. You are able to do so much so quickly now. Mm-hmm. that you're able to do it faster than your mind can think out the story. The first time I had to do something about China, it took me two weeks to get the film back from China. I had lots of time to think about the story. I had lots of time to figure out what was going on. I could do lots of research. And by the time I, the footage came back, by the time it got on air, it was really well thought out. But you're contradicting something you said earlier. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if we're talking about news, immediacy, getting the story out there as soon as it occurs, well, this is a golden age, right? Well, uh, well yeah, but, but here's what happens. What happens is I'm asked to comment on Tiananmen Square while it's going on. Yeah. And I'm sitting in Toronto, and someone's asking me what's going on in Tiananmen Square as it's happening. How should I know? I'm sitting in the same place you're sitting right. in Toronto. Well, the analysis is terrible, well, but, that's the, what I'm but, about but the actual documentation has never the been pictures, better because somebody's pictures. got a phone in front of everything that happens. The pictures are better than they've ever been. Yeah. But that doesn't mean the quality of the journalism is. The quality of journalism is going down because you don't have time to think. Right. Not because people are less qualified. Frankly, probably most people today are way more qualified than they were in my day. There's just no time to think. So I'll, I'll give you another example. When I started out in television news, it was on film. Mm-hmm. Well, in order to get on air, you'd have to be back by 4 o'clock because the film would have to be sent out. It'd have to be processed right. before you could even see what you've got. Mm-hmm. So for a 6 o'clock show, you have to be back by 4. We were sending people out at 5 o'clock for a 5.30 show at Global. Right. So we were sending them out to get the story, bring it back. We actually did. We had this guy come and do analysis of our footage. And he found that the average reporter shot 20 to 25 minutes mm-hmm. on a story. And 100% of the footage was from the first six minutes of shooting. Right. 19 minutes of good footage was mm-hmm. never even looked at because you didn't even have time to see it. Right. Is this the only factor? I, I mean, I was involved in this uh, news renewal process at the CBC. They brought me in for the national. I was on this committee to figure out how the national was going to be a great online uh, entity, and uh, that didn't work out so well. But they they brought in these guys from uh, Frank Maggot. 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 Uh, I've actually been to their place in in Iowa. These guys came in, and they um, like they're this news consulting. I don't know how much the CBC paid them, but they they delivered this endless PowerPoint presentation that ended with them telling us that the top association of the CBC brand was news. And I don't know how much money it cost the CBC to find that out, but I could have told it to them for a cup of coffee. Absolutely. Um, look, these organizations, these news doctors, for the most part, it's a scam. And I say it's a scam because I've dealt with them. I dealt with Maggot, in fact, mm-hmm. when I was at Global. The Global people wanted me to bring them in to help our newscast. Basically, what they do is they sit down, they find out from the bosses what they expect from their newscast. 
Then what they do is they write papers that show how what you want is the right thing mm-hmm. and how to get what you want, which you know how to get to start with. So it's, it's a, it's, you know, and you pay them millions of dollars. So that's number one. Number two, Maggot is, specializes in local American news. Mm-hmm. Why CBC thought for a national newscast this would be of any use is beyond me. Right, because these are the guys telling everybody, put the murders on first, Absolutely. put the fires on first. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's an idea that should have been a non-starter from the beginning. CBC should have known who they were, who their audience was. You know, when I took over CBC News in Toronto, there were all these roles. Like, no story could be more than a minute 30, because that's what Eyewitness News was doing in the day. Right. So no story could be more than a minute 30. Um, You lead with your fires and all of that stuff. And I said, you know what? That might work for City. That might work for CFTO. But that makes no sense for a CBC. If someone's tuning into CBC News, I think they're expecting a little more than that. That's the brand. That's the brand. I mean, why am I, I'm not going to get City's audience. Yeah. I'm not going to get CFTO's audience. I've got my audience. And you wouldn't believe the hassles I had dealing with my bosses mm-hmm. when I said, there is no such thing as a length of a news story. It's whatever it takes to tell the story properly. Right. I actually led one day. The day that Ernst Zundel was convicted, I led with a 12-minute story on Ernst Zundel. Not, mm-hmm. not four stories of three minutes each. One 12-minute story. We had the highest ratings in the history of CBC local news that day. Right. I took a newscast that had about 175,000 viewers when I started. And when I left, we had 315,000 viewers. Yeah. Just by focusing on real news, on hard news, on stuff that was important to our viewers. So that when there was a budget, we didn't throw in two stories at the top of the newscast. We did four or five and six stories at the top of the newscast because we said that was important. And people would say to me, yeah, but the budget is boring. I said, no, there's no thing as boring. If you tell people what's important to them, for them to know, yeah. they'll be interested. Well, a one-minute story can be boring and a 20-minute story can be fascinating. Yeah, exactly. And I've and my exact words were... I've, I've seen one minute and a half stories that felt like six minutes and six minute stories right. that felt like a minute and a half. So it, it's such a crazy idea to, to put a specific time on it. But there are all these obviosities that just don't seem to come across. I mean, one thing that they were trying to, to deal with was the, the numbers for, for Mansbridge on the national would start off uh, at a peak. And then at about 10 minutes in, it would just they would just dip way down. And then you watch the show. And all the news was in the first 10 minutes. And then it would be some kind of human interest story that, that felt like it went on forever, no matter what the length was, that would, had no urgency, no immediacy, and not, nothing that was really newsy about and it. And what are they doing now? More and more human interest stories. This is the same stuff that was turning people off. Yeah. They're doing more and more. So the same organizations that, you know, in our previous discussion about internships and how they're so strained for money, they're paying for those human interest stories, some of which are incredibly expensive to produce. They're paying for these news doctors to come in and do this analysis. And they're paying for, you know, the weeks of renewal, uh, blue sky meetings that uh, we were all pulled out of our jobs to take part in. It's because everything they do keeps failing. Mm -hmm. They keep losing viewership, not gaining viewership. And they start to panic. Mm-hmm. And everyone thinks their thinks their job is on the line, which at CBC is it never is. <laughs> it's this crazy idea of trying to build your audience instead of trying to grow the audience you have. Yeah, my I- idea was don't try to get a hundred percent of the viewers. Try to get all those people who would normally be interested in a CBC newscast. That, that's the way I think you have to go. Right. They still have this idea that they have to have as many viewers as CTV. Well, you know what? 
If you're on at 10 o'clock, you're never going to have as many viewers as CTV. It right. just isn't going to happen. I'm sorry. There's too many good TV shows on at 10 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm human. I, I, I watch some of those shows rather than the news, and I'm a news junkie. Right. So I can't even imagine why they think they're going to get the same number of viewers as CTV. You came to my attention through Facebook. Are, are you are you getting your news online? Are you on Twitter? I mean, it's yes. great for breaking news. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I look at a whole bunch of news sites. You know, uh, I love you know, Grantland and yeah. it's a whole bunch of places I go for my news. But I have to tell you, I still really enjoy the news hour on PBS. Yeah. You know, I still, you know, when I get the opportunity, I still tune into BBC uh, International. So I try to get my news from just about everywhere. But I'm not a long-form news kind of guy. I mean, I'm not the kind of guy who's going to read magazines. Right. I like the short hits. And then if there's a subject I'm really interested in, I'll do my own research on it. Right. You were involved in documentary for a guy who likes yes. quick hits. Yes. You were involved in documentary for, for a good part of your career. Yes, and, and you pursued it independently. Yeah. I mean, thinking about that uh, and having worked with Starowitz, what's that guy up to? Like, it feels like there's this little fiefdom, the documentary unit of the CBC I don't know. I mean, we can talk about documentary in a larger sense in this country as well and, and uh, the shape that it's in. But I, I'm just trying to figure out what, what's left. Well, Mark is a strange case. Mark is, to me, your typical old-fashioned pre-1985 CBC person. He understands the politics of the CBC probably better than anyone in this country. And he knows how to work the politics better than anyone in this country. But he comes from an age where the way CBC, you, the way you ran CBC was you built up your own fiefdom that you could control that no one could touch. Mm -hmm. I personally believe it's what's one of the things that's killing the CBC because he'll spend millions of extra dollars on things that don't have to be spent because he won't use the CBC pool. He won't do what everyone else does. Um, but what do you mean he won't use the CBC pool? Well, for instance, when, when we created the journal. Yeah. There were plenty of editors around, but we had and plenty of editing booths, but he had to have his own editing booths that he controlled. Yeah. His own editors that he controlled. And now he's doing that with documentary as well. It's all his people. And right. He has this idea, and he's done this his whole career. When he goes from place to place, he takes a bunch of people with him. Yeah. I've never understood that. In fact, when I left the journal, his, his parting, one of his parting words to me was, Howard, you can't leave yet. There's no one's going to follow you. I said, What? I'm not leaving because I want to take people with me. I'm not, yeah. I don't understand where, he, where he's even coming from. But that's, that's the old CBC way of doing things. Right. You have this group of people who stay the same with you for your entire career. This goes back to your idea of, of journalism not as a business but as, as a club. As a club, yeah. You, and you've got your, your court. And that's that, you that's try to build up your, uh, your faithful, it. your loyalists. Now, to be fair, Mark, these are some very bright people around Mark. These are some people who they make him feel comfortable because they're so intelligent and he can depend on them. Mm -hmm. And they make him feel good because he knows he, you know, they can depend on each other and he knows what he's going to get. Having said that, it's never the way I've done things. You know, I, I, one of my beliefs has always been I like to hire people who are going to disagree with me, not agree with me. If two of us agree on everything, one of us is redundant. Yeah. You know, I mean, I need people. I love arguing. I love when someone comes in. We used to have huge arguments in story meetings with all the shows I've ever worked on. And I felt we actually got more accomplished in those arguments than we even did on the newscast because it would lead us into directions that no one had thought of before. That's the beauty of a newsroom, isn't it? That's what it's supposed to be is, is it's a place where colleagues are supposed to argue with each other. Yeah. That's the job. And it was and, and that's what I loved about it when I came to so again. Maybe it's because I started in print where everyone did argue. Yeah. And I had that expectation when I came to TV. And when I came to TV, 
that is the way it worked at CTV. When I, mm-hmm. That was the first news organization I worked at in television. And when I got to CBC, I felt like a fish out of water. Everyone was so polite. You had to read the tea leaves. You never knew what people really thought about it. You know, the worst criticism you could get is not bad under the circumstances. You knew it was terrible if someone said that. Right. You know, whereas at CTV, <laughs> if you did something, you know, the first thing someone was saying, what a piece of garbage. How could you put that on air? Right. I knew where I stood all the time. Because the politeness was not, don't mistake it for kindness or, or for, this is not necessarily your friend because they're being polite. Exactly. Yeah, no, absolutely not. In fact, they're more, you're more likely to get stabbed in the back at, C, at CBC <laughs> because no one knew what anyone else thought. It was easier to stab someone in the back. Can you tell me about your exit from the business? Um, again, it was already starting. The cuts, remember, the cuts were starting in 1985. I didn't leave until, you know, give or, give or take around 1998. The cuts were starting to have a major effect. You were starting to get people in charge, bosses who had no sense of what you were trying to do, didn't care about the stories anymore. Mm-hmm. I actually got in trouble because I refused to take a freebie trip to Australia. And I kept saying, we're journalists. We're not allowed to take freebie trips. And right. My, and my boss had no clue what, why. Yeah. And he said, hey, Australia's hot. We got to take this. Yeah. So, I mean, you're running into that kind of thing, and, and, and it just, no one seemed to care about the content anymore. And nobody uh, is, is hated more than the cop who won't take a kickback. Yeah, well. Makes everybody else yeah. look bad. To me, the final straw, the day I quit, I was at Global. I walked in, it was a Monday morning, and it was in the middle of the Oka crisis. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting down for our story meeting for the day, and Simon Editor is going through all the stories we have for that day, and she says, Okay, that's all we've got. And I said, you don't have anything from Oka today? And she turns very sheepish and turns red. And she looks to this guy, Reg Thomas, who is our technical guy. She turns to him and says, uh, are you going to tell him or am I? Tell me what? Well, uh, we don't have a crew there. Why don't we have a crew there? And I said, well, uh, they were pulled out on the weekends. You can't pull a crew out without asking me. It's like the biggest story in the country. You can't just pull the crew out. And they said, well, we didn't do it. The vice president did. So I went storming up to the vice president's office. The vice president said, you know, Howard, don't get so excited. We don't have to be there anymore. We got our license renewal on Friday. Uh Uh-huh. And I went down to my desk, wrote up my letter of resignation and handed it to him and left. (laughs) And I haven't been back since. Reading your blog, one gets the sense of of a guy who... uh you're one of the few people in this country who will speak candidly and freely about this, about the field, and, and specifically, and name names. And it's filled with insights and history that I find fascinating. At the same time, it's one of these professions or, or trades, whatever you want to call it, where it feels like you can never get out of somebody's blood. And then you get the sense that you're a guy who's just watching TV, listening to your radio, and you're like, that's not how it's done. No one wants to watch the news with me. No one. <laughs> <laughs> I sit there and criticize every... Every lead-in to every story. You know, I think writing is so horrible now, it's beyond belief. You know, I actually had, and you'll you recognize this when I tell you, on my board in, in my office, there was a big sign I put up, and it said, fired. That's what the next person is going to be who writes this kind of intro. <laughs> because you listen to a radio newscast or watch a TV newscast now, and at least three times in every newscast, it's $1,000. That's what it's going to cost you to, you know, that is... You know, intro writing is supposed to be conversational. Yeah. It's supposed to make you interested in the next story. This is laziness that's beyond belief. 
Yeah, well, it's become its own weird language. It's it's uh, it feels like they've got these little formulas, and uh, right. you won't hear it on ABC, NBC, or CBS. Right. You know, they have real writers. You know, I remember a day when people aspired to be news writers. Like mm-hmm. that was an end in itself. A news writer today is either a guy who failed at becoming a journalist, a, a, a reporter, or someone who wants to be a reporter and is on the way up. Uh-huh. There is n- no recognition for the quality of news writing. Do you miss it? There are days when I miss it. I miss it election day especially. Um, yeah. you know, having produced half a dozen election night broadcasts, you know, it's real hard to watch nowadays. I think uh, the quality of, of election night reporting died the day a guy named Ellie Alboim left the CBC. Ellie Alboim is the smartest person I have ever met in my entire life when it comes to television and news and politics. I learned more from working with him in, in, in one day than I learned in 25 years before I met him. Yeah. Uh, and I see all the principles that he brought to CBC News election night coverage are all gone. Mm-hmm. All of them, 100%. You know, he, the way he would get you practicing for an election night was fascinating. He would take all the possibilities and he'd say, okay, if this happens, what's the story? Right. If that happens, what's the story? Right. Because if you know what the story is, you know who to go to next. You know which questions to ask your panel. You know which panelists to go to. If you don't know what the story is, you're floundering all over the place. Yeah. And what you get is just a whole night of telling me who won in every writing and who won the election. And you cycle through your people. You cycle through. You, you, just, got... you just cycle through. Yeah. Well, that's what they're doing now again now that Ellie's gone. Yeah. You know, he was just absolutely brilliant. And, and so when I watch it now, they say, oh, can't do it without Ellie, can they? <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing like an election night. No, it's it's it's. There's no better adrenaline. I'm not even a, a political wonk. I, yeah. You know, it's not my beat at all. Yeah. I was there to cover the social media aspect of the elections, which, you know, back in 2007 entailed reading tweets that yeah. uh, some guy in Regina. <laughs> I mean, it was a ridiculous gig, but but just being there and seeing the whole machine operate. It's it's an amazing it's an amazing thing to see. And yeah, and and truthfully, you know. The, the technical side of it, and I don't mean technical as in cameras, I mean technical as in setting up the computers to make judgments as to who's going to win, is a fascinating science all of it, all on its own. Yeah. You following Nate Silver, what he's doing? Not so much. You know, I'm, I, I'm a bystander now. I really am a bystander, and, and, and I, I, I'm really an old crank at this point. I understand that. My wife tells, my wife loves to tell me that. I have a feeling you were a young crank, though. So. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm going to tell you a story that's almost embarrassing to me. I started my school's first newspaper in grade seven. Uh-huh. When I was 14 and 15 years old, my friends and I would get on the train from Montreal and go to Ottawa to sit in Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> you should be embarrassed to tell that story. No, I know. I'm just, you know it's like... <laughs> There was no such thing as tech as techie nerds then. I was a, a, a political nerd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming and talking with me today. It was my pleasure. Okay, hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. Email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca. Follow me on Twitter at Jesse Brown. Check out the website at CanadaLandShow.com where you'll find the Canada Land videos. I make this show with Tanara Yelland and I'll be making the show throughout the break. So next week, if you're sick of your family, come hang out with me. I'll have a show for you. That'll be up on Monday. If you like the show, tell somebody.
couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.